The Rural Health Voice, Episode 107, Rural Food Pantries. Welcome to The Rural Health Voice. I am Beth O'Connor, your host. We discuss rural health issues at the grassroots level and how state and federal policies play out in our local communities. What is different about food insecurity in rural communities? Donna Danger of the Community Resource Services joined me to discuss the work of the food pantry and plans to grow. So welcome, Donna. Glad to have you here today. Well, thank you so much, Beth. It's so good for you to take the time and do this with me. Uh, absolutely. So tell me about your background and how you got involved with the food pantry. 23 years ago, I was going to a, a Bible college and one of the other students in the class mentioned that in her area, they were doing a food pantry. And she asked me if we had one. And I said, no, we don't have one. And so I started doing some research just to see what, you know, what it looked like going over county. It, food insecurity was an issue and um, found out that it was definitely something that I needed to pursue. So at that time, actually, my mom and I decided to uh, do it, and we went to our local community center to see if they hosted and sponsor it. So that's where we've been for 23 years is in that location, and they allowed us to house everything there. Great. So are there certain groups of people who are more likely to use the food pantry? Who do you see? Uh, I would say probably about 67% are senior citizens. You know, and they have people, a lot of people that come in with disabilities. Of course, we have what we call the working poor. Those are people that work full-time jobs, but they just can't seem to make ends meet. Um, And a lot of grandparents that are raising their grandchildren. Um, And food is definitely, when you try, is an issue if you're trying to feed teenage grandsons. So in the summer, we really see, they really depend on us because the kids are out of school. And because during the school year, they do get free breakfast and lunch. But during the summer, it really is um, difficult for them to be able to feed them. Are there other groups in the community who helps the community resource services do the work that you do? Actually, uh, there were three. We had the TPCC food pantry. And then there was a, the Met, Victoria Methodist Church also had a food pantry. And then Salvation Army had a food pantry. All three are in Victoria. Um, but what we've done is we've combined the three, and we're all under community resource services now. Um, so we've combined all the clients from the three programs uh, into this one program. That sounds like it could be complicated. Well, it, it was uh, it was a challenge initially. Uh, actually, what happened? The person that was conducting the Salvation Army uh, got sick, and she just couldn't do it any longer. And it was like, you know, that she had a few volunteers that were helping her for a couple of months, and it just got to the point that it was too much for them. And her son called and said, "Donna, we've got a dilemma here." You know, we've got a bunch of people that we've been feeding that we can't feed anymore. You know, they said, you're going to start to get new clients. So, and I mean, the clients start coming and they're still coming. Uh, And then probably about six or seven months ago, 
Salvation Army, the location that they were using, the building was no longer available to them. And the uh, director of that program called me and said, hey, I need your help. I need to know if you can take these. And he had about 90 clients. I got his, you know, have his clients. But they're helping me. Be, they're helping because there's some clients that need their food delivered. And so that's what they do. They do the delivering part because we didn't offer delivery service. Um, so now we do have that service, you know, through them. Now, I don't think a lot of people know how food banks or food pantries even work. Can anybody show up and get food? Is there an eligibility process? Yes, there is an el- eligibility process. They There's a software we call Link to Feed, and every client that comes through the door has to be put into the system, and it asks just general questions up front, name, address, phone number, um, which county they live in. But then there... Uh, we have to have their income and the number of people in their household. And that's the qualifier. However, if they're on Medicare, Medicaid, or food stamps, they, auto- they automatically qualify. So once we put in those variables, it, so it comes back, program will tell you if they're eligible for the program. We have four different programs. And so it will take you through and let you know which ones they're eligible for. But in our case, you know, one of the programs we do is for just senior citizens. Um, but the TFAF program, that's the one that's done through Feedmore. And um, so they have the qualifiers for that. And then we do a direct store program. And those are items that we pick up from Food Line every day, from Walmart twice a week, and to Dollar General stores twice a week. And those items client choice. They get to go to the tables and pick, you know, the foods that they can eat or they what they like to have. So do you just hand out food or do you have other resources available? Um, we do offer other resources. COVID introduced us to that concept because we were essential, considered essential services. So at that point, we began to, um, a lot of the other nonprofits and agencies, local agencies reached out to us to see if we could disseminate, th- you know, things through our through us, and so we began to do that, and we, you know, we have the health department came in several times to do vaccinations. Um, we had someone from United Healthcare that comes two or three times a year and talks to the clients about the choices, the different choices with Medicare. We just recently partnered with Piedmont Health. They d- distributed COVID uh, test kits, but we've we've partnered with some attorneys and conducted. Uh, they did just legal things that that people need to know, like a will and all of the legal as the legal attributes that you know everybody should know. And uh, we did. The sheriff department came in, comes in quite often, and do things on. Fr- most of uh, Lunenburg County agencies and all know that we have a captive audience and they know that we see a lot of people every Thursday is our main day. So they know that if there's any information that needs to get out to the public, it's the best way to disseminate it very quickly. Now, my understanding is that you have outgrown the space that you are in. What's the next step? Yes, well, we have. And uh, we found out about... 
a little over two years ago that current location uh, felt like we had overtaken, we'd just taken over the building, which we had. We had stuff everywhere and all the rooms there. And, um, and in addition to that, a lot of the other services that we want to offer, there was a limitation of the, of the times that we could use the building uh, because it's rented for other events. And so we, you know, anything we did, we had to basically do it on Thursdays um, during the time we were there. So we looked for another locale, another place for about a year and a half. And, you know, finding a place that was large enough to accommodate the needs, in addition to parking um, and easy access for our, our clients, we just were not able to find any place. So this year, back early part of the year, we were able to buy two acres of land and we're in the process of putting up 6,000 square feet, still building. It's, uh, we met with the contractor and he's, they've drawn up the preliminary plans. And one of the things that we're going to do with this, we're going to switch to client choice. When they, when they come in, we ask them if they have high blood pressure or heart disease or diabetes. And then we give everybody the same box regardless. So with the new client choice program, we'll be able to um, set it up differently where they, if they need low sodium, we'll have a section where we have low sodium items. And we're not able to set it up that way in our current location. So we're excited about it because of all the things we'll be able to do. And the the additional services that we'll be able to offer having that in our own space. And, you know, we've carved out, you know, space. And when I met with the contractor yesterday, you know, we have an area where we pack food, but once we pack the food, that's open space that we can put chairs down and tables to bring people in for classes. It's, um, we're really excited about that. Now, when we're talking about people in need, you know, I, I've heard the term food deserts. I've heard the term food insecurity. Whatever label you want to put on it, how is addressing the need different in rural communities? What, what's special about your area as opposed to maybe Richmond or D.C.? Well, the issue at Food Desert is if you live, if it depends on the, the percentage of your, your community that lives close to a supermarket. And in our county, uh, 22,000 people, we have one major supermarket here. Um, so, and it is more than, you know, 15 minute drive or 15 miles for a lot of people to come to that supermarket. But then in addition to that, being able to afford to buy the healthy, to make healthy choices and buy and purchase them. Um, and so we are definitely considered a health desert and the food insecurity because, you know, of course, all of our schools are on free lunch and free breakfast because of the income level of this area. We fall in both of those. But, you know, we, we know that food insecurity is linked to a lot of things. It's linked to health disparities. It's linked to mental health, housing stability, and other variables of well-being. And so those are the things that we want to address. Our last census showed that our child poverty level was more has more than doubled, raising it by 12%. So 
we are looking at ways to address a lot of those inefficiencies. Now, I've had people tell me that rural people can't possibly have food insecurity because they could just grow their own food. If they're not growing their own food, they're lazy. How would you respond to that? A lot of our clients work full-time jobs, and a lot of our clients are senior citizens who, at, at one point in their life, they did raise their own food. You know, I'll give you a good example. I, my father-in-law is 94 years old, and he raised, he's always raised a garden. And it wasn't until last year that he stopped raising a garden. And, and, the only, and he still would do it if he could, if, if his children would let him. But, um, <laughs> but he, you know, and so um, it is really, you know, and, and that's why I think of when other clients come in and they say they get so excited when they see the fresh vegetables. And it's like, I remember when we used to get these fat tomatoes in the garden, you know, so I think a lot of it is because the, of the age population um, and the working poor, you know, in addition to raising children and working a full-time job, it's just not pliable for them to be able to do that. Sure. A, a garden takes money and, frankly, time to, exactly. to you know, to, to, to plant, to water, to weed. Uh -huh. Yeah, and there's a difference between having a pot of tomatoes to, to add to your summer salads and raising enough food to feed yourself for an entire year. Exactly, exactly. And, and so what we're seeing is we get uh, pallets, usually four to six pallets of fresh produce from Publix every Thursday. And so the clients are so excited because it's things that they're used to eating, but they couldn't, can't afford to buy now. But we also are seeing like a, a, a lot of our clients coming in and not know how to, what to do with uh, spaghetti squash, zucchini, or, you know, those things and the turnips. And, I mean, because we get so many pallets of them. And so uh, one of the things that we really want to do is, uh, in the new location, is have cooking demonstrations and having, you know, people to come in and prepare different, using those fresh vegetables and having tasting tables throughout the food pantry while clients are there where they can taste, you know, what they can do, what, you know, what to do with those vegetables as they come in. And also canning classes because a lot of them don't, you know, the new generation know nothing about canning. <laughs> and then we're going to have, you know, provide recipes and, uh, you know, all of that we cannot do in our current location, um, but we just see the opportunity of how much more we can do promoting those fresh, fresh, that fresh produce. Building the new building and adding those programs is a big project. Leading to that, I met you because you were a participant in the program offered by the Virginia Rural Center. Why did you choose to be part of the Virginia Rural Leadership Institute? I am going to be honest, perfectly honest with you. I believe that it was ordained by God because I didn't go looking for it. <laughs> One of the uh, members of the board, had met, she mentioned it to me. And I said, oh, I don't know. And she says, well, look at it. So I did. She, you know, I Googled them to see what it was all about. And um, when I researched it, I realized, you know, well, maybe this is this is something that will help me grow because, um, 
you know, and it, and it really has done that because it just introduced me to so many wonderful people that have been an asset as well as the information and the contacts. And so it, it, you know, I basically got in it because it's like, okay, let me see. But I have enjoyed it tremendously. I've taken so many notes. I've learned so much, um, and especially because we're going into to rural localities, small rural localities, just like where I live. And I see the possibility of people working together um, and helping one another to be able to have these, to provide these opportunities for the community. You know, it has evolved into much more than I ever thought it would be. As a matter of fact, I, our next session is next week. And I, I dread the thought that that's our last time to get together because the, the networking and the bonds and the friendships that we've made along the way have really been um, wonderful, and they've been invaluable in the information that uh, you gather. And several of the other cohorts have also um, been helpful to me because of the line, you know, because of their careers. As a matter of fact, one of our other cohorts is with the Commonwealth Regional Council. And his project is on aging, how to provide other services for aging. And so that is something that the both of us can work together on because a lot of my clients are, you know, in that category, that they do need other services. So it's just been a win-win. And, you know, I'm just so thankful. I was at a women's conference this weekend, and they were saying when God gives you a vision, if you have to chase after it, if, if you get a vision and you say it was God-given, it's a, you have to chase after it. But when it comes looking, if it comes chasing you, it's meant to be. And, it, and this whole project, you know, like I said, for 22 years, n- never did I think it would evolve to what it is now. And I am just as excited about these services and all the opportunities that we can provide for our community as I was 23 years ago. And it's just so you know, Rural Virginia Leadership Institute has really just opened my mind to a lot of opportunities and a lot of services and other people I can talk to. Um, and uh, I won't, I will not, I will not forget the mentor that I've been assigned because, you know, it's just so good to have someone you can talk to and get, you have questions, you can ask them questions and uh, partner with them. And um, so it's just the whole program. I would definitely, you know, try to find someone to recommend for the next class because it has really been beneficial to me and to Community Resource Services. Excellent. So last question, question I ask all my guests. If you could do anything, what would you do to improve health and health care in rural America? I would flood uh, my food pantry with fresh produce. Um, I, t- I think that the reason people are not eating healthy is because they can't afford to. And, you know, the store, the, you know, the supermarkets are, you know, the produce is pretty much, you know, you can't afford it. And so I think what happens is people opt to um, do the easy things or the, 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 the least expensive things, the fast foods, the frozen foods, things of that choice, that, that those are their choices. And I think if we just could provide 
more healthy choices that people could afford, it would make a huge difference in a lot of the issues that we have. You know, where sugar that leads to the obesity and the and the diabetes with the starches and all. I think it's just learning to just being able to shift to shift the thinking of people and and educate them. You know, you can't just say let's you know let's eat less of this. Let's talk about what will happen when you when you eat less of this and more of this. And so we just want to you know through us we want to have a lot of nutrition classes um, just to educate people because I to me knowledge is powerful once you you know once you know you do different. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Donna. Thank you, Beth. I've been, uh, I thank you for the opportunity to share what we're doing. Feel free to um, reach out to me, you know, the health community. If they want to reach out to us, we're ready to help our community be make healthier choices. Excellent. Thank you. That's Donna Danger, wanting to make sure everyone has access to fresh produce. If you want to be part of the conversation about rural health, join VRHJ at the Rural Health Policy Institute in D.C. next February. Links are in the show notes. The Rural Health Voice is a podcast of the Virginia Rural Health Association. It is sponsored by the Virginia State Office of Rural Health and underwritten by the National Rural Health Association. 